Saddleback Church is voted out of the Southern Baptist Convention two years after Rick Warren appointed three female pastors not long before his own departure into retirement. And we examine the Asbury revival and see whether or not this is a move of God after having a brother of ours in Kentucky go down and report back some of his findings. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at and examining a number of different things regarding the recent Asbury revival or outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as many people are seeing it as. And what we want to do is examine this in light of a lot of the information that has come out since this whole thing started back on February the 8th. And we also want to look at Rick Warren and the recent kicking out of the SBC that has happened to Saddleback Church, which he actually retired from and handed off to a husband and wife, that's right, a husband and wife pastor team. So we want to look into that, but before we do, I want to ask you guys to make sure you click on that subscribe button, and also if you could like this and even leave a review on one of our podcasts, whatever way you listen to this, that would be awesome. And one of the reasons is because I've been getting messages, text messages from friends, we've been getting emails and saying, hey, I'm not seeing a lot of your stuff. So we're always encouraging you guys, make sure you subscribe and also click on the notification bell to make sure you guys are getting everything because guess what? Hopefully next week, we're hoping to do a live show in our brand new studio. As you see, we are in a makeshift studio right now and hopefully the studio will be all up and running next week and we'll be able to get our first live show in the new studio for you guys. But With all of that, yes, the Saddleback Church in Orange County that was pastored by none other than Rick Warren has actually officially been kicked out of the SBC. Now, there's a whole appeals process that they're going to go over, but I'm actually going to read, and sadly enough, this is one of those situations where what happens in the church gets spilled out into the world so that it can go into the court of public appeals and make the church look really bad which sadly enough, uh, you have to wonder if that's not some of the reasoning uh, for what the way in which Rick Warren decided to leave and how he left Saddleback Church when he left it. The Southern Baptist Convention on Tuesday ousted its second largest congregation, Saddleback Church. The renowned California megachurch founded by pastor and best-selling author Rick Warren for having a woman pastor. The vote by the convention's executive committee culminates growing tension between the nation's largest Protestant denomination, which officially opposes women as pastors, and a congregation whose story has been one of the biggest church growth successes of modern times. The committee cited Saddleback's having, quote, a female teaching pastor functioning in the office of pastor, an allusion to Stacy Wood, wife of the current lead pastor of Saddleback, Andy Wood. The executive committee took the vote Tuesday without public discussion after the meeting in executive session. It voted to approve a recommendation from the denomination's credentials committee that Saddleback be deemed, quote, not in friendly cooperation with the convention. The terminology used for ousting a church. While Southern Baptist Statement of Faith officially opposes women as pastors, each congregation is self-governing. So the main enforcement mechanism 
is to oust it from its membership. So, of course, Rick Warren did respond to this. And if you guys don't remember, when the uh, the recent Southern Baptist Convention that was held last year in Anaheim, California, when it was held there, Rick Warren showed up and gave an impassionate speech. And we actually did an entire episode. You can check that out. It's called Rick Warren's Pragmatic Deception. And you can watch the entire episode in the link below. But I want you to hear how he, I guess, formulated his argument of why they should stay in the SBC. I had preached preached over 120 uh, harvest crusades before I was 20. We baptized 56,631 new believers. And as the Southern Baptist Church sent 26,869 members overseas to 197 nations. 78,157 members of our church signed our membership covenant after taking a four-hour membership class. I've had the privilege for 43 years of training 1.1 million pastors. Now, if you thought maybe Rick has come down a peg or two and now isn't still bragging about his numbers in order to say we should stay in the SBC, which I think he's probably telling them we should stay in the SBC because you're going to lose a lot of money because we have a lot of people giving to Saddleback and the million whatever pastors he claims to have trained. Sadly, they've been trained in the purpose-driven life method or the purpose-driven church method and they don't have really any doctrinal standing. Rick Warren, I believe, truly is a false teacher, and we have an entire documentary titled The Submerging Church that not only covers him, but a number of teachers in what was the emergent church movement and what is now the version of liberal Christianity that people have deconstructed to. But nonetheless, this was Rick's, I guess you would say, reply to being kicked out. Quote, friends worldwide. I'm so touched by your love. Kay and I love you back. We'll respond to SBC in our time and way through direct channels. Our newsletters to 600,000 church leaders, Daily Hope radio broadcasts, 1 million PDC, Purpose Driven Church, alumni pastors list, and 11 million social media followers. So Rick just still doesn't get it. He still doesn't get the fact that going away from Scripture, it doesn't matter that you have all these people around you, these people that have followed you, if the blind are simply leading the blind into a ditch, if what you are preaching is not in the biblical parameters of Scripture, then who cares who you've trained? All you've done is lead them into a ditch. This purpose that you're driving them with is not the purpose of Christ. It's your own purposes, and obviously bragging about your numbers is a huge part of what you're saying, hey, you know what, we should— We should get the word out to all of them about how we're being mistreated by the SBC because I waited till I was about to retire to appoint three female pastors. And then when I handed the church off, I made sure to hand it off to a husband and wife pastor uh, combo. But nonetheless, people have looked into it and actually responded. Some people are like, hey, we shouldn't kick them out for these reasons. And I'll refer to you an article, but I do want to read from some of it. But there is an article by one of the professors at Boyce College, which is a Southern Baptist uh, a Southern Baptist seminary. But at, at Boyce College, Denny Burke wrote this in response, and he responded to all the different accusations, but I want to give a good length, lengthy treatment of what he had responded to the people saying that Saddleback should not have been kicked out. Quote, Saddleback is clearly contradicting the Baptist faith and messages prohibition on female pastors. 
And that is why this has become an issue. Saddleback had already acted contrary to our doctrine in 2021 when they ordained three female pastors. After that, in 2022, Saddleback called a husband and wife team to lead teaching pastors of the church. Former pastor Rick Warren declared his support for the ordination of female pastors on the floor of the SBC annual meeting last June. New Saddleback pastor Andy Wood told the Associated Press last year that he intends to expand the number of women serving in pastoral roles. All of this seems to indicate that Saddleback has no intention of closely identifying with what the Baptist faith and message clearly says about female pastors. As a Baptist church, Saddleback is, of course, free to appoint whomever they wish as a pastor. The SBC has no control over that and would not presume to assume control over who they call as pastor. But the SBC does have the right to determine what the parameters of our cooperation are, and we have done that in the Baptist faith and message. The executive committee has correctly recognized that Saddleback is outside those parameters. Saddleback will have a chance to appeal that decision to the messengers next June at our annual meeting if they so choose. I wish that we weren't having this conflict, and I wish that Saddleback hadn't forced the issue. I would have preferred for them to align their faith and practice with what the Bible teaches about pastors. As a side note, they haven't been teaching, they don't have pastors there because they don't teach sound doctrine and they don't refute those who do not. But anyways, I'll keep reading from his article. But they have chosen not to do that. Indeed, they have chosen to double down on their departure from what the Baptist faith and message clearly says. Their departure is over what most of us believe to be a secondary issue. Therefore, it doesn't mean that they have ceased to be a Christian church. It just means that they are no longer in friendly cooperation. The Baptist faith and message clearly affirms what the Bible teaches, that only qualified men may serve in the office of pastor. The only thing that remains is for Southern Baptists to make clear what they think about this when they gather in New Orleans next summer. I suspect they will make themselves very clear should the need arise, and they will do so in a way that affirms our statement of faith. At the very least, that is what I am praying for as we look forward to our meeting in June. Now, egalitarianism is an issue, and egalitarianism, complementarianism, and we as not only a ministry but as a fellowship do affirm complementarianism, but those who affirm egalitarianism, they're not supposed to be a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, but there are plenty of Baptists that are a part of the SBC who have pointed out that a number of churches have continued to operate in such a fashion where they are appointing female pastors. And if I'm just being honest with you, I would have a very tough time. In fact, not even a tough time. It would be a very easy time for me. I would not be under the leadership of a church. I would not fellowship at a church and fall under their leadership if they were egalitarian. Because I'm sorry, I'm telling you from the reading of Scripture, my conscience bears witness against me. I could not go to a fellowship that reads 1 Timothy chapter 2 and says, yeah, we can push this aside. Because I would be concerned that you could push any other, and 1 Timothy 3 as well, but any other issue aside, I'd be very nervous about the culture pushing forth something and you just accepting it and that that could actually happen. So why does this matter and what does it have to do with Asbury revivals or whatever is going on? In fact, it actually has more to do than you would think, uh, especially when it comes to Rick Warren and egalitarianism. Um, Because I I do want to read from something. And for those who don't know what's been going on at Asbury, I'll read a little, I'll talk about it a little bit here. 
Uh, and part of this is from a article, but the rest is my own thought process of looking through this for the last couple of weeks. But the Asbury revival, as it's been dubbed, developed into a viral phenomenon on social media, spurring Christians from far and wide to make the trek and join in the worship. It all started at a Wednesday chapel service with a fairly vanilla message regarding love. And there has been thousands upon thousands of people traversing all across the world to try and feel the presence of God that is claimed to be in Kentucky. But nonetheless, when it comes to this, and why do I bring up Rick Warren and egalitarianism? Well, one is because Asbury do Asbury Seminary and Asbury University both believe in egalitarianism. They believe in appointing female pastors and ordaining them for the for that type of ministry, one that I is not is just not allowed in scripture. But nonetheless, there are a number of specifically uh, Asbury Seminary, a number of seminary professors that I've learned a great deal of information from. Uh, there's a ton, there are a number of them that I've read their books and have grown a lot from them, uh, but I can't say I come close to agreeing with them on anything that would promote women into the pastoral role that God's word has clearly defined as being that of the ministry of a man who is the husband of one wife and other credentials as well. But I bring this up because that happened on, and that whole thing started February 8th, seven days prior and while I'm recording this later tonight, which by the time you guys are watching this, this would probably be about 12 hours from the time that you're watching this or the time that it's uploaded, they would have started something that they advertised seven days before this revival broke out. And here is what they advertised. On February 1st, they posted a video and they said this, this is the Collegiate Day of Prayer 2023 live from Asbury University, February 23rd from 8 to 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Quote, let's adopt and saturate every campus in America in prayer and join us live from Asbury University on February 23rd from 8 to 10 p.m. With special guests, you guessed it, Rick Warren, Francis Chan, Alan Hood, and worship leaders from IHOP or the International House of Prayer over there with Mike Bickle, Circuit Riders, Black Voices Movement, and Met by Love Worship. Let's believe God for revival amongst believers on college campuses and spiritual awakening amongst the lost. Father, revive the saved and save the lost. There are a few things I want to talk about regarding the Asbury revival, or I believe uh, Craig Keener, who is there, Dr. Craig Keener, um, said it, he sees it as a the spirit outpouring rather than necessarily labeling it, it as a revival. And before I even get into the things I, I think were actually uh, beautiful, some of the things that I've seen online and then the things that are really dangerous and to the point of scary. But before I get into that, one thing that really makes me sad about this is to even have any inclination of, hey, there might be something going on here that's not biblical. Maybe there are some things that we could help out with. There are fear mongers online when it comes to someone coming out against something that may be happening or even simply just bringing up a question that, oh man, you're quenching the Holy Spirit or whatever it may be. But 
when you read that in First Thessalonians chapter 5, yeah, we're not supposed to quench the Spirit, but we're supposed to test all things. And so we want to be able to test all things without absolute judgment from people who will say the craziest things. In fact, I'll read a tweet for you from Greg Gordon. Here's what he said. Quote, do not pay attention to armchair quarterbacks writing and critiquing the Asbury Revival. They are much like Uzzah putting their hand on the ark. Let God do in this and through this moment what he desires and wills. He's quoting Dan Beiser there. This revival is revealing the hearts that have lost intimacy with the Lord. Guys, it's not losing an intimacy with the Lord saying, wait a second, there might be some weird things going on. Wait a second, it's weird that seven days prior, they were promoting a prayer event that was going to take place, crying out for revival regarding teachers that are false. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, that is very concerning. And this sort of behavior, this sort of idea where you get to a place where you're trying to stop the ark of God and God, by the way, he died for touching the ark. And if you think that this doesn't freak people out, from even questioning you. And it's very cult-like behavior. When I, I'm not saying everyone involved there. I don't believe Craig Keener. I don't believe John Oswald. I don't believe Ben Witherington and a number of the professors there at Asbury Seminary would agree with statements like this. I'd hope not. But if it comes to this, guys, this is cult-like behavior. When you can't question something and say, wait a second, there might be something. We need to test all things, hold fast to that, which is good. We need to see what's actually going on And when you're saying it's untestable, because if you do, you're putting your hand on the ark and God may just smite you and kill you, which would be the warning there. That's what I'd have to surmise. And and I'm saying this as someone who I sat on a phone for multiple hours with a young man, and I know Pastor Joe did as well with the same person, who was convinced in his heart that he had blasphemed the Holy Spirit because while Rodney Howard Brown was giving prophecy, he thought in his head Maybe he's a false prophet. And he felt condemned that he had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And and guys, this is serious. And Rodney Howard Brown is a heretic and a false prophet. And he thought in his head something that was actually accurate according to Scripture and feels as though he had blasphemed the Holy Spirit and has lived in depression thinking he can't be saved now. So these kind of statements are dangerous. And I'm telling you this right now. And I want to make this clear, and I know Joe does all the time as well. Test everything said on Good Fight Ministries at Blessed Hope Chapel. Test everything according to the Word of God. You aren't touching the ark. No, you are not. This is absolutely ridiculous. And so let's actually do some examining according to Scripture. Let's also talk about the things that I think that some of the examinations have been false or unfair. Some of them could even border on gossip and slander. And I do think that's actually taking place. Some people are just throwing out guesses there and then uh, waiting for confirmation on them. I think that is taking place, but there are legitimate concerns with some of the things that are going on there. As a ministry, we have exposed Bethel music and Hillsong and uh, Stephen Furtick and Elevation and so forth. And I have, I, I know that sounds crazy, but with Elevation, I do think that Stephen Furtick is not a true teacher of God and some of the music that's coming out of there is just absolutely horrendous. But I'm not going to call someone a heretic for singing an Elevation song, especially if they have no idea where it came from and they just read the lyrics and thought it was okay. But when it comes to things like Bethel and Hillsong and so forth, and I'm not saying people don't make mistakes, but when this is supposed to be the move of God and this Holy Spirit-filled revival where they're feeling an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and people are repenting, and 
These aren't the only songs I've heard. In fact, I shared a clip um, with with the production team here of them singing a wonderful hymn, actually, with a group of people just a few days into this where they were singing a wonderful hymn, and it sounded great. But when I also have seen clip after clip, and some of them are people exercising demons and so forth and, and screeching and, 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 and all of that stuff, it does concern me. When I see Bethel and Hillsong songs being sung repetitiously over and over again, it does truly concern me. And I'm telling you this, I have personally, and we've as a ministry, watched video after video. I've watched Todd Friel's video. I've watched Spencer Smith's video, both his initial one, and then his follow-up for over two hours. I've watched Elisa Childers' video. I've read Samuel Say's article. I watched Craig Keener's multiple videos on the subject. I watched uh, testimonials. I watched Remnant Radio's video on this very subject and so forth, because I do think it's important to balance this out and see where all of this is coming from. And I wanted to point out, I read Craig Keener's article responding to critics and so forth, and they the critics are all over the map on this. Some of them we're saying it's Christian nationalism because I think Greg Locke might have went there and he is a heretic. I know we're not trying to throw those words out there like crazy, but I believe that that man is heretical. And I think that the documentary coming out with him and Isaiah Salvador and a number of other people with deliverance ministries, which are very dangerous, by the way, believing that 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 demons can actually be a roommate of the Holy Spirit inside of believers is absolutely crazy to me. And also that somebody could think that I mean, barfing in a bag and some of the things that happen, some of these deliverance ministries, such a dangerous, dangerous thing. Do I believe people can have demons in them and can be delivered? Absolutely, but not believers. And and I think we need to be very, very careful with people that are saying that. But nonetheless, I did want to read parts of Craig Keener's article on the subject, because when it comes to this, uh, he does answer some of the critics. And one of the biggest things that a lot of people point out is, hey, Todd Bentley, the arch heretic of, you know, he was he was involved with the, the crazy blessings where he was receiving blessings and so forth from all the, you know, all these herit or, you know, guys like Bill Johnson and Shay on and so forth. And then only for him, see Peter Wagner as well, only for him to be cheating on his spouse while he's receiving these blessings. But nonetheless, he said, quote, it has been suggested that Todd Bentley being present should discredit the revival. His response is whatever Todd Bentley came intending to do, he was not allowed to minister on the university campus and was indeed required to leave it. To imply otherwise is misinformation and or misrepresentation. He claims that queer students have been leading worship. Revivals are not led by homosexuals. His response was, the university prohibits sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage, as stated explicitly and publicly online. Sexual immorality, including adultery, same-sex behavior, and premarital sexual intimacy— these behaviors are expressly prohibited in scripture. Offenses in this area are almost certain to result in separation from the university for a period of time. Quote, a student known to engage in such activity would not only not be leading worship, they would not remain a student. The leader I consulted knows of no one leading worship who is sexually active outside of marriage of any sexual orientation. So those are some of the things that Craig said, hey, I want to answer this. Now in that article, there's some differences that we might have as well in terms of not just temptation, but if somebody identifying as gay and claiming to be a Christian and just saying, well, I'm just celibate, 
but they themselves are still a homosexual, whatever they may think. Uh, but nonetheless, so there might be some differences there, but he's saying, hey, the people leading the worship, because I've seen a lot of that. So hopefully Craig's right on this. I, I don't know. But I wanted to read also from an article specifically um, from Samuel Say. He's a Reformed Canadian pastor. And there was a couple things he had to say I thought were very interesting, but I, I want to read it from his article because he has a background in this sort of thing. And here's what he said, quote, and yet just because some of us do not think it's a revival doesn't mean we believe God isn't regenerating people at Asbury. There are plenty of reasons why we should be concerned about some of what's happening or not happening at Asbury. But as I suggested earlier, I became a genuine Christian at a fake revival. God saved me in spite of mostly heretical series of sermons by a prosperity gospel female pastor. If God can save a wretch like me in that chaotic environment, don't doubt that he can save anyone anywhere. And while that is true, I want to tell you one of my chief concerns. Um, because I did see a lot of beautiful worship. I saw people, it seemed like they were repenting of sins, uh, confessing and repenting of sins. As far as the things that I saw, there were a lot of, especially outside, people preaching that you need this secondary baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and so forth um, that, I, that I've watched that are really, some of them are just really out there, Todd Bentley and, and Greg Locke being there and so forth obviously go, whoa, what are those guys doing there? But they, you know, not being invited or anything, but just showing up. I'm not going to totally damn someone because someone shows up. But I will say when it comes to some of these things, my concern has been a concern I have with Asbury. And that's even knowing that a lot of the seminary professors really do love Jesus. I really believe that John Oswalt and, and Craig Keener and Ben Witherington really do love Jesus, even if there are places where they have things we're going to have grave disagreements with. But one of the biggest things is ecumenism and really believing that Catholics are part of the body of Christ specifically. And there's actually an article by Breitbart, and the title of it was Asbury Christian Revival Becomes Explosive Interdenominational Phenomena. Now, interdenominational, eh, Baptist and Pentecostal stuff, they're hanging out, not too big of a deal. I don't mind that. But let me keep reading. The magnetic draw has not only transcended geographical boundaries, however, but traditional confessional limits as well. Father Norman Fisher, chaplain at the local Lexington Catholic High School, called the ongoing awakening, quote, a wellspring. You just know right away that God is there, Father Fisher said. And I want to read a little bit about our friend that we actually asked to go check it out and I want to read from some of the things he said. And I want to bring it back to that statement and why I find that concerning. Um, and this is what he had said regarding his trip on over there. I heard about it after. I noticed that it is becoming more and more difficult to navigate the city and do my job. After finding out about what was said to be going on, I started to talk to the locals and those who were visiting. In all, I talked to 12 or so people. Everyone is excited about what is going on and not a single person had any reservations about the authenticity of the event. The two days that I spent focusing on the event was Thursday the 16th and Friday the 17th. All day Thursday it rained like a monsoon, and Friday there were light snow flurries in the morning and 30-degree temperatures the entire day. Yet through rain, wind, and snow, there was a consistent two to 300-meter line wrapping around the campus. This line was for the main auditorium, which is named Hughes. I talked to only two people, who had actually been in the Hughes Auditorium. Both individuals, a man and a woman, were elated to recall the event and said that they could indeed feel the Holy Spirit. The man said he felt an immense joy 
while the woman proclaimed that there was a serene, calm feeling. Everyone else that I talked to was in spillover locations. Most of the local churches turned their facilities into satellite venues and live streamed the event continually. How very ecumenical. From what I understand, the main auditorium never closes down. One local told me that the event still had three to 400 people at three in the morning. There is also an extreme variety of Christians moving about the city. NAR is definitely present, but also individuals with no understanding of what NAR is or even represents. I've seen people praying in tongues on the street and sprinkling invisible dust over one another. The severely infirm being wheeled into a crazy long line and a lot of talk about involving the name of Christ. The whole event has an almost mythological beginning, which varies in the telling. Everyone I've talked to has been excited to talk about what happenings until you start to ask penetrating questions like, how can you tell this is the Spirit of God? Or were there interpreters present in regards to the speaking of tongues at the event? When these questions are asked, or indeed any other inquiries are inferred, their countenance falls sour and they immediately start defending the event. It didn't matter how nice I was, this was the pattern. It was easy enough to appease them by stopping the question and telling them that God is good or something to that effect. Overall, everyone was extremely ready to talk about their experiences, from professors to college students to retirees flying in on a private jet. No one seemed able to define what was taking place. No one wanted to test it or for it to be tested. Join the party, but don't dare crash it. My conclusion is this. Everyone was there was extremely zealous. They were quick to acknowledge the name of Christ. They were all kind enough to take the time to some guy in his work uniform, and they were all glad to be a part of something that they themselves can't define. This is as unbiased as I could be. I then mentioned to him one of my concerns being the ecumenism of Catholicism and Catholics maybe being there and thought of as part of the brethren. And here's what he said in response. He said, strange enough, I talked to a student who's working on his doctorate about Catholicism and Christianity. And he said he used to be like me, but that Asbury and other institutions have helped him see that they are really brothers in Christ. I shared with him Second John. He smiled and shrugged. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. I have to be honest with you. This ecumenism of Catholicism inside of the Christ, inside of Christianity is something I am chiefly concerned with. It's something in a more recent message given by Chris Vallotton. He actually mentioned that he doesn't even know what the Reformation really was about. And when uh, Martin Luther was Protestant, it means he was pro-New Testament. Uh, not protesting the wickedness of Rome. But when you see this sort of behavior, this is my chief concern. Yes, I'm excited that some young people, maybe there are going to be some wonderful men of God. I mean, you're listen, you listen to the testimony even of Samuel Say, who talked about a false teacher and still him being able, because of the power of the gospel, to be saved through it. So yes, there is that. And yes, I love seeing young people excited. But one of the chief concerns I have, and this is something that happens in churches all over America as well, is that there is not the balance that is needed, the balance scripturally one, but also there is a, a an age difference and a maturity level of balance that is important. As my friend there who was there, the the zealousness of these young kids to be excited about the Lord, uh, there, that's something that really is awesome. But this is what is beautiful about being in a local congregation. You have the balance of the old and the new. And I mean that in terms of ages, because... When we separate the younger people, specifically, you know, high school and, and, and college and so forth, and when we separate them and keep them away from each other rather than feeding into each other, I think we both lose out. Those who are young and zealous and excited to get out the word of God 
instead of that zealousness igniting the flames of the seasoned believers, they miss out on that. And taking that zealousness and having some wisdom to impart into it, the young people miss out on that. So instead of having a fullness of wisdom and zealousness in a congregation growing together, running headlong towards Jesus, I think a lot of times in so many churches, they miss out on so much of that. And, and I don't know if that's what's happening here or whatnot, but one thing I do know, I know that God is good. And I don't believe that there's going to be this great end times revival that a lot of people do believe in. I think that there's actually going to be a great falling away. And it's something that we do need to watch out for and need to pay attention to. I'm not saying that these guys are involved in NAR, according to Craig Keener. Most of the people there, even some of the teachers, wouldn't even know what that is if you mentioned it to them. I don't know if that's true. But either way, it is something that we need to watch out for and watch out for the marrying of those things we should be protesting And in the name of unity, we want to make sure that our unity is with the truth because love rejoices in the truth. It doesn't rejoice in error. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so I don't believe that the Holy Spirit loves when we sing songs that are written by heretics. I'm just being honest with you. And what we want to do is we want to take, and for those who may be zealous from this, it would be great to be able to talk to some of these people, encourage them in the Lord, and bring them back to the Word of God and not necessarily a feeling. Because most of the growth that I've seen in people in their walks with Christ comes typically when they're down in the valley in temptation. And these hilltop feelings, this excitement of the Lord, it's not palpable at all times. There's going to be times where you're going to struggle. And that's where you need to hold on fast to the Word of God that we would hide God's word in our heart, that we may not sin against him. That's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we are running after Jesus by knowing his word and that we would cry out what Moses cried out. Not teach me your ways through a bunch of songs that were written by heretics or even good songs and good hymns. Even though we teach one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, but Moses cried out to the Lord, teach me your ways so that I may know you. Let that be true of us. If you know Jesus, be edified in and through his word and examine everything and test all things. Hold fast to that, which is good. Test these spirits. And if you don't know Jesus, he he poured out his blood. Jesus Christ died a horrible death on a cross for the sins that you committed. But he rose again on the third day, defeating death and showcasing that he is truly the one true God and that he to tell us die, paid for your sins in full. If you don't know him, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent, that means have a change of heart, which leads to a change of action. Repent and put your trust in Jesus and put your full faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that died on the cross for your sins. God bless you. This has been Chad Davidson. This is the 511 News. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.